Welcome into the Clap Trap. Brought to you by Ultrasound Productions. Now also playing on 90.7 WKKL. The question of who's going to be the starting quarterback in New England. Wondering if Bill Belichick would take this all the way up to kickoff week. Certainly all the way to the end of kickoff week. Why let Brian Flores of the Miami Dolphins know who to prepare for, who to start? And uh, we didn't see this one coming. I'll go, I'm, I'm surprised but not shocked because right. I've been telling you from the start, I'm just watching this kid play and he's better than I thought. Yes. The New England Patriots made it official. Releasing Cam Newton out into the wild to become a free agent once again. He got paid a $2 million signing bonus, a $1.5 million salary. That money will get handled however it does. Cam's going to make $1.5 to $2 million this year, whatever the case. But what this means is Mac Jones. Who? Mac Jones. Who? Mac Jones. Who? Is your starter in New England? Okay, we are back again. And uh, as you just heard, we are going to lead off the show talking about the crazy situation that has uh, happened with the New England Patriots, which I guess I call it crazy. Maybe some other fans and other people don't call it crazy because I just didn't picture this happening, in all honesty. But it has happened. Uh, Cam Newton has been released from the Patriots. And we are now moving forward with Mac Jones, the future of the Patriots, and I brought on Coach Kamire again this week to kind of talk about it, see how he feels about it, uh, and maybe get into some other comments too. So, Coach, first of all, how you doing today? Oh, fantastic. Fantastic, okay. Uh, and so now when we've been talking these last couple of weeks, we were talking about how we kind of uh, uh, knew that it was going to be Cam Newton in our minds it, going forward with it. We were fine with it kind of thing there. Uh, it was fine. I, I love the the future that is Mac Jones, but I, I think that we were both on the same page uh, as far as I know about being ready to go forward with Cam Newton, thinking that this team was built for him. But now that this decision has been made, first of all, how do you feel about how the decision was made and, uh, you know, are you fully on board? What's where are you at? Yeah, man, obviously I'm one, like one of Cam's biggest advocators, I feel like, uh, over the last year. But um, I think personally that Mac in that third preseason game uh, won the job. I think he obviously played better than Cam did. I only gave Cam those two drives, but still right. he played better, looked really good. And he, that week of practice, it seemed like he just he won he won it over. You know, it seemed like he had he'd separated himself from Cam Newton. Uh, obviously, him not being at practice for those like five days hurt him. Right. Um, and then that gave the chance to open the door for Mac and allow him to play with the starters and you know light up the Giants secondary in practice, like yeah. going thirty-five of forty. Uh, that's like that's you know, pretty noteworthy. You know what I mean? If you can do that against an NFL secondary, you're like a pretty legitimate quarterback. So, yeah. And the uh, way that he was doing it too, uh, if you, I don't know if you saw the thing where he was like, you know, like uh, showing off too, jumping into the end zone on a touchdown run in and everything in that giants practice. And like, just kind of had that swagger. I think that a lot of people are looking for out of a starting quarterback. So that was another sign as well, I guess. Yeah. Quote unquote saying, hold my, you know what? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
Uh, so, I mean, like that's, that's pretty, that's pretty uh, good to see the confidence out of the young kid like right. that. I mean, definitely won a lot of the team over with that performance, I think. And then, you know, how it all went down. Uh, I, I truly believe it was something along the lines of Belichick saying, listen, man, like we're going to go with Mac. You're welcome to be our backup. You know, we trust you. Like we say, you know, everybody on the team loves you. Like we want you to be here. But we also understand if you want to go and try to win a starting job at another uh, oh, yeah. team. Right. So I, I believe it probably went some, somewhere along the lines of that. And uh, Cam obviously chose to, you know, test the waters of free agency and see uh, where he might land. Um, yeah, there's a few situations out there that he might be able to kind of sneak in and grab us uh, at least a role for this season. Exactly. You know, so uh, – you know, I, I applaud Cam Newton. I think, like, you know, he, he had it a lot worse than what a lot of people give him credit for. Uh, he did he did really well for what he had the time that he was here. So, uh, now, do all you, in all, though, do you think, I'm, yeah, hit me. Yeah, do you think, actually, I just wanted to find out, do you think that it had anything to do with the whole vaccination situation? And because there's a lot of people that are saying that because he wasn't vaccinated and everything that like that came out, that became the one of the major reasons why they were getting rid of him. Do you think there's anything to that? I mean, not really. I mean, like, yeah, like it's definitely not going to help your cause that you're not vaccinated. But Belichick is football first, man. I think it's it comes down to the fact that Mac was just the better player. Yeah. If Cam was the better player, Belichick probably looks over the fact that uh, the fact that you know he's not vaccinated. He probably will live with that because he's a better player. But because yeah. Mac had proved that he's a better player, I don't think that that really like played too much into his decision of uh, of you know making Mac the starter and rolling with him. All right. Yeah, I was just wondering because, like, I, I even I was thinking even if there was a chance that Mac or Cam was a little bit better in Belichick's eyes than Mac, but then the inconsistency factor of hey, we could get into week thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, be battling for a playoff position, and then all of a sudden Cam gets COVID, he's out for a week, and we got to scramble here. So that kind of a thing may have seeped into his brain as well. Of like, I just need a more consistent, reliable option. Yeah, I understand that. I just think that it's uh it's more along the lines of, you know, Mac proved that he was better. Yeah. Can uh you know, he, he, I think I think deep down Belichick wanted like Cam to be the starter, but can't but like Mac just did enough to prove to him that he's ready to go right now and like that's my thing with this whole thing is everyone knows I'm a big Mac uh Cam fan, but like before that, I'm a Patriots fan, and Belichick, our head coach, is going to tell me that you know Max the right person for the job right now. Then I'm going to believe him, man. He's he's literally the, one of the best coaches of all time in any sport. Yeah. So if if that's what the big man's rolling with, I'm you know I'm right there with him. I'm 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 going to jump off the cliff with him, man. So <laughs> well, we hope uh, it's not a cliff, but uh, I hear what you're saying there, and that actually brings me to the next topic I wanted to bring up. So uh, we'll get into this uh, or that right after this on 90.7 WKKL. All right, I'm just gonna now I'm just gonna bring it back and I'm gonna start talking about Asante Samuel kind of here, okay? Cool. All right, so the other thing that I wanted to talk about here, and you just heard it in the clip, is the Asante Samuel uh, comments there. Basically, what had happened was uh, Asante Samuel came out with a tweet 
that was saying that Bill is just another coach. He, he it, it, uh, it was going off of somebody else's tweet calling Bill cold-blooded for getting rid of Cam Newton. Asante Samuel chirps in, says, yeah, he's cold-blooded, but in reality, he's just another coach without Tom Brady kind of thing there. And you heard it, his comments there. I played it for you. And uh, I just kind of wanted to know what Coach Kamire thought about all of that. Uh, and, and had you heard the, the comments before from Asante? How did that make you feel? Yeah, I mean, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Um, right. I think it's that's ridiculous to, you know, downplay Belichick's coaching ability uh, for him to come out and say that. I mean, it, you know, talking about the same guy who dropped the game-winning interception in the Super Bowl, you know? <laughs> right. Also, one of my favorite cornerbacks of all time. I love me some Asante Samuel. Oh, yeah, but, of course. We, I think we all did. But I don't think he, he should really be, uh, you know, speaking on, you know, Belichick just because they obviously left on bad terms. They doesn't did. mean to run the guy through the mud, you know what I mean? Just because it didn't work out exactly how you wanted it to, you know? Right. And he keeps saying in the like the quotes like, oh, I have no beef with Belichick. I have no beef with him, but I just think he's an average coach. And it's like, dude, you you clearly have something against him. But also on top of that, the the whole um, you know, thought that you know Bill only was a good coach because of Brady. Uh, Max Kellerman even comes in and talks about how you know obviously the times without Brady and the thing with Castle, and even if you look back to situations way back with the Browns and stuff like that, he brought Vinny Destaverdi, I believe, to the playoffs with the Browns and things like that. So he's had other situations where he's done good. He was a defensive coordinator on two championship teams, all of that. Uh, I just don't understand the narrative that, like, the coach doesn't do anything. Just because in this particular situation, yes, Brady did go off and win a Super Bowl, that doesn't mean that Belichick didn't help him get to where he was or that he wasn't an important part or he wasn't a great coach, which he is. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's ridiculous for him to come out on and, and say things like that. You know, it's, it sounds like he's someone who's salty, but something that happened in the past. Right. Which, you know, that's, you know, and and I get it. He wants to go and become like a TV analyst now and you got to break in somehow or something like that. And maybe this was his way of doing it. And now everybody's listening to Asante Samuel. But I, I the, the the arguments and I've even been having arguments with some of my buddies about how and they're saying ridiculous things like Bill's a fraud and stuff like that. I find that so ridiculous. I also find the argument of. Well, he's just a coach. He didn't go out there and make the play. He didn't throw the touchdown. He didn't get the interception, all this stuff. Have you been hearing that narrative at all as well? I, I know it's tougher for you. You are a literal coach, so hard for you to hear something like that. Uh, have you heard that people talking about it that way? Uh, no. I, I mean, like, everyone knows that, like, the only reason, like, some of these players are ever successful is because they've been put in a system where they can just focus on what they're really good at. Yep. Um, Belichick's known for that. You know, it's like a lot of these players that you've seen over the years that end up leaving and going to other teams don't uh, come out with that same uh, consistency, that same success as they have when they were in New England. Yeah, you great one. Time, time again. Great one is Kyle uh, Van Noy recently. Exactly. Obviously, like, you know, Tom Brady's a different different beast. You know what I mean? Of course. Tom Brady, is gonna he's going to go anywhere, and he's going to be the best. And I think a lot of that still, you can say, comes from Belichick and teaching him how to prepare and teaching him how to, you know, treat day in day practice. Um, you know, for for him to you know come out and and just disown everything that Belichick's like done right. as a coach is just it, it's you know, it's asinine. 
Yeah, no, I, I think it was a ridiculous thing. I, I think it's a, an attention-grabbing topic, and anyone who is, you know, all about Brady and, and hating on Belichick is going to latch onto that and use that for their argument, but I think it's just a silly thing that I've heard of people saying that kind of stuff. It's it's To me, it's like, uh, comparatively to, you know, a student getting an A on a test and then everyone just being like, oh, he just did it on his own. There was no... Co there was no uh, preparation from the teacher or anything like that to get him to that level of knowledge. He just kind of walked out onto the uh, or walked into the classroom and got an A on that test by himself. I, I, there's obviously people who help you along the way. The way is what I'm saying. Exactly. Uh, you know, no one gets there by themselves. Uh, the coaches uh, really play into this a lot more than than you know most people would think. You know. Oh yeah. It's crazy to think that they like that there's no reason to have a, a coach out there or something like that. Or And, and I get that, uh, yes, uh, uh, in football more than any other sport, there is one position on the field that really matters the most, and that's the quarterback. So if you don't have a good quarterback, it's going to go a lot worse than it could go with a great quarterback. Understandable. But still, that great quarterback had to be developed into the great quarterback he was, and I would argue that even in the first or second Super Bowl, Tom Brady wasn't the greatest quarterback. He was a good quarterback at that time and then became the goat afterwards big time big time you know you can't just come out and say that uh he, that he did it by himself you right. know that, that that narrative is ridiculous you know it's crazy to me and uh yeah so i just that was a, that was a wild one but we got one more asante samuel comment that i wanted to get to at the end of that too so we'll get into that right after this on 90.7 wkkl you're listening to 90.7 WKKL, and this is The Claptrap, talking with Coach Kameyer about the recent Asante Samuel comments and uh, how interesting they got. You're a great coach, and was he the greatest coach you've ever played for? Well, I, you know, I was learning everything. I'm, I'm still learning. I was learning how to be a man. I hear all this media saying this and that, and when media says somebody great and they say somebody's the greatest, I go do my research. I don't just listen to y'all and say, yeah, he's the greatest. I'm not that. I'm not a Duke boy. So I have my own mind. I go do my research and I say, why is this person great? What did they do that was so special to make them great? And then Who's I come a up great with my coach, Asante? Who's a great coach? Who is a great coach? Um, you know, I have to do my research. I have to, uh, I have to do my research and uh, uh, figure it out. But I don't know, man. I, I just listened to you all say it, and then I go do my research. You know. But I mean? you actually so. played for him when you were there in New England. Did you feel like I'm playing for? You were there four years. Did you feel like I'm playing for a great coach? Without research, just just you being in the system, being in that locker room. From what everybody was telling me, yes, uh huh, yes. And he he is he he yes, he's a great coach. He has some great uh some 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 great uh things he do. You know what I mean? But. To be that top tier great of, of how you guys have tried explaining it. In, in you guys' eyes, pretty much everybody that wins games is great. No, no you can't be great. Like, I, you know what I mean? So, go ahead. Okay, so uh, I, I just played for you guys the end clip of that Max Kellerman first take Asante Samuel situation. And in that clip, you hear Max Kellerman ask, okay, Asante, if Belichick isn't a great coach, who is a great coach? Tell tell me, who, who can we compare – Belichick too, who, like, who is he looking up to as a great coach? And Asante Samuel comes stumbling back with, well, uh, well you know, uh, well, I got to do my research and I got to do, so you have no answer. You're basically just trying to hate on Bill Belichick, but you have nobody who is considered a great coach to you. You're, you're just kind of stumbling all over your words. Did you, I don't know if you heard that part about it, but I thought that that was very funny. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's crazy. He, he's trying to 
you know, hate on Belichick. He's trying to bring him down. Right. You know, do this and that. It's, you know, it's kind of sad, you know, <laughs> for someone that, for what was a successful Patriot when he was here, you yep. know, he you know, made a couple Pro Bowls, was doing his thing. Um, it, it, you know, I mean, you don't need to run a guy, uh, you know, down just to kind of build up your own name, man. Exactly. Uh, it's it's just crazy to me because like obviously Belichick's one of the greatest coach is the greatest coach of all time. Yep. And for anyone to you know come out here and say that there is someone better and then not to even have like another person in your head. Thank you. Like like if he had come out and said like oh I think that you know Mike Tomlin's a great coach or like this and that then like sure like I'll ride with that or whatever yeah. it is. But right. like if you got no one else then come on. Right, you know? Tom Landry, throw somebody out there, like throw an old name out or something, and then he just yeah. keeps saying, I got to do my research, I got to do my research. So you just came into this just hating on Bill Belichick without actually doing research and then preaching that everyone should be doing their research. So you, you didn't do any research, but you're making sure that it should be known that everyone should do their research to find out that Bill Belichick isn't a great coach. But you have nobody exactly. else ready lined up. Like, this is the kind of guy that I envision as a great coach. It was... Boom, A, B, or C, not Bill Belichick. Wild. Yeah, yeah unreal. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I'd say just, just stick to dropping, you know, game-winning uh, <laughs> interceptions in the Super Bowl that would have capped an undefeated season. Yeah, no, I, 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 it's, it's so tough, man, with that. It's like I get, like, in the beginning of the conversation, okay, he, maybe he's making a few points for that, you know, Bill versus Brady argument and all that kind of stuff, and, and it's and it's going one way or the other. But then when you come and, and somebody like Max Kellerman, who I don't even like Max Kellerman, but this was great by him to just come back at him with, okay, then, who is a great coach? You seem to so, know so much about who a great coach is. Tell me one great coach. He can't even come up with that. And then he even gets talked to into after that saying that, well, Belichick is a great coach. He's a great coach. Which is kind of like a, you know eyebrow raising. What? Wait, you just said he wasn't a great coach, but now he is a great coach. He's kind of all over the place. Exactly, it's ridiculous. I just I just thought that that was a funny thing. Needed to add that in there. But I know you got to get going, so I appreciate you stopping in, talking about the Patriots real quick here, and hopefully we'll get you back on uh, next week or the week after that when we can start talking about real games and how Mac Jones is actually doing. All right, thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, later, man. You're listening to 90.7 WKKL, and this is The Claptrap. Okay, so had a little bit of a conversation there with Coach Kamire talking about, uh, obviously, the the new move that had happened for the Patriots, meaning that Mac Jones is the starting quarterback. Also talked a little bit about the Asante Samuel comments there, which I thought were a little ridiculous, but, uh, you know, everybody's got to get there 15 minutes, right, or whatever it's got to be, so... Uh, you know, I wanted to move on uh, and continue talking about the Patriots, but I just wanted to bring up a question that was brought up by uh, my main man, Mendez, who put on Twitter a question, a question saying, what is your official prediction for the Patriots season and when, if Mac gets the start? Now, this was obviously before the cutting of Cam Newton, so I thought that at this point, it's obviously a good time to talk about the season from the Mac Jones perspective, right? So we, I, I've done my season breakdowns of win-loss records with Cam Newton, assuming that Cam Newton was the starting quarterback. Now you have to do it with Mac Jones on there. And with Cam Newton, I did think that this team could win 
probably 11 games, 10, 11 games, somewhere in there. You're going to be vying for a playoff spot. And the question now becomes, do you think that you can do the same thing with Mac Jones? I had a great uh, great conversation with Matt, my buddy from uh, last week, talking about he was wanting to go forward with Mac Jones, seeing the future now. What's the point of having Cam Newton if he's not going to win you a championship this year? Which I get that uh, thought process and wanting to see what you're going to get out of the new kid. Uh, going forward, but it, it, he may end up having some struggles this year, and we're going to find out what that's going to look like as the season progresses. Now, the first game of the year being at home against the Dolphins is pretty big, in my opinion, because not only are you going against another very young quarterback in Tua on Miami there, but uh, I don't think that Miami is necessarily – now, every year we always kind of get people talking about, oh, you know, this is the year for Miami, and they look like they have a good defense. They look like they have their offenses figuring it out. They obviously have a good coach. I like Flores. Um, but I think that this is a game that is set up to have – actually, you know, maybe the first couple of games here set up for an easy entrance for Mac Jones into the NFL. I think that this Patriots team, as it's constructed, can win against Miami, whether it was going to be Cam Newton or Mac Jones in this game. I didn't think that it was necessarily going to be an offensive explosion for the Patriots. I think it's more coming down to the fact that this defense is going to be really good. Uh, even without Stephon Gilmore, who's now on the, the uh, PUP list or um, – not not able to play for the first six week of the season, it, it that is going to be a factor, obviously. But against a team like the Dolphins, and I, uh, what I think that Bill Belichick is going to be able to do is scheme up against a young quarterback like Tua. He ha always has good success against young quarterbacks, Belichick that is. And I think that this is going to be a lower scoring game where Mac Jones is figuring some things out. And I think that he's going to have a couple of touchdowns. I wouldn't be surprised if he had an interception or two as well, though. So the kid's going to be in there for the first time. But I think that we can still win this game against the Dolphins uh, at home in a situation where the crowd is going to be going crazy for Mac Jones at this point. Uh, and so he's going to have a lot of momentum going into this game. And as long as he can keep his head and not get too crazy or emotional or anything like that, I think he'll be able to do enough to beat this Dolphins team. Then you move on to playing a Jets team in New York. That's going to be a little bit tr uh, tougher being on the road and everything, but I know that he's used to pressure when he played at Alabama and everything like that. But you're going against another young quarterback in Zach Wilson uh, or the, uh, the the Mormon Manziel, I believe I've, been, I've heard him be called there. And I think that that's another situation, once again, where the defense is going to be able to scheme up really good against a young quarterback. Belichick's going to be keying in on what that quarterback wants to do and take that one thing away from him, which is always going to be hard for a rookie quarterback to get over. I don't think that the Jets' defense is going to cause a ton of problems for Mac Jones, and I'm hoping also through the first couple of weeks of the season, the running game is hitting on all levels with Damian Harris to the point where we can kind of take away some of that pressure from Mac Jones, get the run game going, get him to make his, you know, safe throws over the middle, nothing fancy, nothing crazy at the beginning of the season. I do eventually want to see them open up the playbook for him, but not right out the gate. That's where I'm at with this player right now. And I think that even with Mac Jones starting on this team, 
going against a subpar Dolphins and a subpar Jets team, I think that you are going to be very much in those games and with a good chance of coming out 2-0 after the first two games. So regardless of whether you had Cam Newton or Mac Jones starting, I think that these first two games of the year are set up to have both quarterbacks looking good with 2-0 records going into a home game against the Saints who uh, now have Jameis Winston as their quarterback, and you know that he's always all over the map. He has shown that he can throw a lot of touchdown passes, but he's also shown that he can throw a lot of interceptions. So you're going into game three, in my assumption, being 2-0. and And yes, the Saints defense is pretty good. Uh, the, the, the Saints are, as of now, still missing their number one weapon in Michael Thomas. They are... You know, sitting there with the new quarterback having to go in there. You have Taysom Hill being the Swiss Army knife and everything like that. Doesn't seem like he's going to get the starting job, though. And so you're going to be sitting there at week three at a home game against the Saints where now hopefully Mac Jones has been able to kind of get used to the struggles and triumphs of an NFL, you know, couple of games. And we can really put that towards the Saints there. The Saints will be, I think, the biggest game that we struggle in in the beginning of the year. Because even though Jameis Winston, you don't really trust in him to be good. I think that the Saints team around him is going to be pretty solid. So that one might be a pretty tough game. And then you hit week four. Week four, obviously the return of Brady to New England. Uh, playing with the Bucks there. I still think that the Bucks are going to destroy us. I think that'll probably be the worst game of Mac Jones's first season with the Patriots um, because of the fact that the Bucks have a great defense. They're going to be keying in. Brady's going to be wanting to stick it to Bill and the Patriots and wanting to dominate as much as he can. Also, Brady might be going for, I, I believe, the the all-time yardage record at week four if he's going if he has a dominant pace through the first three games. He is going to be going for that record, so he's going to be trying to do that. So I fully expect him to lose still to the Bucs, regardless of which quarterback you were going to throw in there. So, so far, I don't think that Mac Jones really changes, hurts, or uh, you know necessarily helps more than what you would have gotten out of Cam Newton. I think that you still end up going either 2-1 and one or 3-0 and oh into that game against the Bucs in Week 4, in which you will lose. Patriots fans, we all I think we all know that, regardless of how you feel. Um, that's just going to be a really tough game. I think it's going to be closer than what people think at the end of the day. I think our defense hopefully is going to be able to do really good against them. And with that new front seven and the new depth in the front seven, there's going to be a lot of pass rush going on. So hopefully we can get to Brady and we can you know disrupt things and at least keep it a closer, lower-scoring game. I don't expect them to win that game, but a closer, lower-scoring game. Then you go and play the Texans at Tex at, at in Texas against the Texans, who don't even have a starting quarterback right now because there's no way that Deshaun Watson is going to be playing this year in the NFL. Maybe they end up picking up a Cam Newton or somebody else. I don't know who their quarterback's going to be. That's going to be an interesting game right there. So now you're looking at another team that's almost shooting themselves in the foot. It's not even necessarily that the Patriots and Mac Jones are going to come and overwhelm the Texans. I think the Texans are going to beat themselves in a lot of you know ways there. So that's another win in my book. You got the Cowboys at home. I still don't think that you're good enough to beat the Cowboys. They're a really good team. Jets at home. That's a win. Chargers in uh, L.A. That is when you start to get into 
teams that I thought that maybe a Cam Newton run first, play defense, could possibly beat a Chargers team. I think that that Chargers team is really good on defense. So now you're starting to question, is Mac Jones going to be able to work his way through that if they're still trying to get the passing game going? If the run game is hitting, obviously that's a whole another scenario there. But that Chargers game, which I had penciled in as a win for the Patriots with the Cam Newton style of run first, play good defense, now it's more of a question mark to me, honestly. It depends on what they're doing at that point in the year. At that point, you're now, uh, you know, what, seven games in, eight games, or six or seven, eight games into the season there, and you're looking at a team that has a really good defense and another younger quarterback on the other side. So who is who's going to win that game? That one's more of a toss-up to me now. Moving on to the Panthers game, and I, I think that that one, you still, it's very easy. You're going against Sam Bradford, who's going to be seeing ghosts once again. That's another win for the Patriots. So I'm still, I, I think I'm only one game off here. And as I go through quickly, because I do want to end this segment, you know, right now, basically, um, you know, you got Falcons on the road, Titans at home, Bills on the road, bye week, at the Colts at home against the Bills, at home against the Jaguars, and then at the Dolphins there. So you got a lot of interesting games towards the end of the year. The end of the year is a lot harder for us. And I think that at that point, you know, you're thinking about having maybe, you know, six wins going into the game against the Browns. That's where I think you're going to be at six and three, possibly, uh, you know, or, or not – yeah, six and three would be the record, I believe, going into the game against the Browns there. So I, I don't know. It, it, this still seems like a team that could win nine, 10, or 11 games, even with Mac Jones in there. So maybe that's the real reason at the end of the day and, uh, you know, why Bill was convinced that he could do what he could do with Cam with Mac. You know, maybe that's where we're looking at. We're looking at the schedule. We're looking at the players that are going to be going against the, the quarterbacks and things like that. And maybe we've we've gotten to the point where, yes, we can win enough games with Mac Jones to still try and get to that playoffs that I think is the overall goal of this season. Try and get to the playoffs. And especially now, if you have Mac Jones going and if he makes the playoffs on the first year, oh boy, look out. The fans are going to be going crazy. That's just how it's going to be. But uh, we'll see how it goes, and I'm excited for it all to get started very soon. All right, keep it right here on 90.7 WKKL for more of the Claptrap when we come back. You're listening to the Capes Classic Alternative 90.7 WKKL. All right, so we are still talking football right now. I had an interesting article that I've been reading uh, by a guy by the name of Tyler Sullivan. I believe he writes for CBS. Um, I'm not 100% sure on that one, but he wrote an article that said the three reasons why the Patriots will win the Super Bowl. And I thought that that was interesting, obviously, for a lot of reasons. Um, and, of course, Patriots fans all over are, are hoping for more success from the Patriots. It's, it's pretty clear um, whether you're one of the fans that grew up in the era of only winning. And so now you are kind of just, uh, you know, sitting there expecting and, and feeling as though you are owed more winning. Uh, or you're the older fan that's seen the bad and now seen the good. And you're hoping to get back to the good as quickly as possible. This guy believes that there are three reasons why the Patriots will win the Super Bowl this year. Uh, and it all obviously starts with Mac Jones. So I'm just going to kind of jump to his three reasons and talk about that a little bit here, um, which I think that he's crazy. Let me start off by saying that. I don't think that there's any uh, real uh, justification behind saying that they 
they will win a Super Bowl this year. Uh, obviously, you got to say things to to kind of rile up people and things like that. That's always the way that the media works. But let's get right into what he thinks. So, number one reason why he thinks that the Patriots are going to win the Super Bowl this year is Mac Jones succeeds out of the gate. He says it has to start with the quarterback, right? Jones will need to have a Justin Herbert-like season for the Patriots to seriously sniff championship contention during his rookie season. While it's a tall task, he is in a good position to succeed almost immediately. The Patriots have a stable of running backs headlined by Damian Harris and James White that should be able to take some of the pressure off of Jones on the offense. That's kind of what I was just talking about in the last segment there. When he does need to drop back at pass... He'll, be, he'll have arguably one of the better offensive lines in football protecting him, correct, and some intriguing weapons in the passing game. The cast of receivers, Jacoby Myers, Nelson Aguilar, and Kendrick Bourne are a bit suspect, very correct, but who do rookie quarterbacks love throwing to? That's right, tight ends. At that spot, Jones will be able to find Smith and Henry, and Henry with the Patriots' base offense like, uh, like likely being in a 12 personnel. Um, so he's not wrong, right? So even though the wide receivers are subpar and and definitely not what we would want in New England when it's headlined by Jacoby Myers, and even though I have friends like my buddy Cam, who's been saying it's uh, Jacoby season for the last three years, uh, I don't think that he is the best one to have headlining your receivers. You got Nelson Aguilar, who is an interesting option there, and I don't think that you're going to get a ton from him. I just hope that he's not dropping balls. And I've always liked Kendrick Bourne. I'm going to be honest with you guys there. I think I've said this before. I do enjoy Kendrick Bourne's play. I don't think he's ever really gotten a, a, a big enough role to shine, so he's going to be an interesting person to see. But it's all about those tight ends. It's all about Janu. Smith and Johnu Smith and Hunter Henry. Those are your two reasons why Mac Jones can succeed early in this league because he has not only one but two safety blanket tight ends. And usually that's the best thing. We just you know our quarterback of last year Cam Newton was built on having a safety blanket tight end and also being able to run, but being able to have a guy like Greg Olson for him was gigantic. It happens all over the place. You have currently right now, I'm not going to say that uh, Patrick Mahomes couldn't do it without him, but Travis Kelsey is a huge reason why Patrick Mahomes is as successful as he is. Tom Brady had Gronkowski. Uh you know, the list could go on uh, for for many different players uh, that had or, or or quarterbacks that had good tight ends, and it's it's just a great position to have a strong option at. And we have two of them. We got the two best tight ends out of free agency. Anybody who's questioning the amount of money that we spent during free agency, I think that those two options alone justify it. Uh, on top of the fact that they brought in a bunch of depth for that front seven on defense, which I thought was huge. I think that just having those two tight ends is going to make a huge difference for a rookie in in uh, Mac Jones. That's pretty clear. So, uh, let's see here. As he continues on here, not only does Jones have a solid core around him on offense, but the preseason also showed that he is ready. Uh, he is already pretty well versed in uh, Josh McDaniels' complex scheme, which should set him up for an even more success. So yes, it is a complex scheme, and uh, Josh McDaniels is scheming up all these different things that he wants to be able to do. 
I don't think, like I said in the last segment, I don't think that you should open up the entire playbook to him right away. I think that you ease into something like that. But I'm glad to see that the uh, not only the coaches, but it seems as though Mac has a good grasp on what they're trying to do here. So that is going to be very helpful for them stepping up. So number one reason why the Patriots can win the Super Bowl this year, Mac Jones succeeds out of the gate, mainly because of those tight ends. Number two, New England boasts a top five defense. Um, this is something that I've been talking about. I think that they're a top three defense, in all honesty, when you have Stephon Gilmore in there. I understand that him being out for six weeks is going to be tough for that. But, uh, you know, I completely agree with the fact that one of the reasons why uh, the Patriots are going to be good is their defense. And Tyler seems to agree with me on this one. So he says, this is where the Patriots can look to mimic what they did in the early stages of their dynasty with Brady. As Brady got his feet wet in the league, New England was winning Super Bowls in large part due to the dominant defense headlined by the likes of Ty Law, Richard Seymour, Teddy Bruschi, and others. As they turn the keys over to the young quarterback yet again, the defense will be called upon to carry some significant weight. Luckily for the Patriots, they have a talented depth chart on that side of the ball that could arguably be among the league's best when the 2021 season is in the books. I agree with him 100% with that one there. I think that what they did for that front seven for this defense, I can't say it enough, is going to be huge. The one thing that this team was missing last year was the the, the depth on that front seven. You get no pass rush. You're go- you can have the best corners and the best secondary in the league, which they had a, a top-tier secondary in the league, but they can only cover for so long. Eventually, if you get no pass rush, the uh, quarterback will figure it out. That's just how it's going to go. That was kind of the downfall last year. Yeah, he continues, though, one of the bigger issues the Patriots have dealt with on the defensive side of the ball in recent years is stopping the run. Hmm. That seemed to be a point of emphasis for the team this offseason as they beefed up the interior of the defensive line by signing uh, Devon Godchow and Henry Anderson while trading up in the second round to select Christian Bearmore. On top of those moves, the linebacker unit is much improved from what it looked like in week 17 of 2020. Now, Dante Hightower is back after opting out due to COVID-19 last year. Kyle Van Noy has re-signed after spending a year in Miami, and the team spent uh, big in free agency to land uh, Judon. Those three should make this unit pretty formidable, but the emergence of second-year pass rusher Josh Uche could uh, take it over the top. So we'll see how that goes there. I was hoping Anthony Jennings Jennings was going to be another one that was going to be able to get in the mix. He is going to be injured for this year. That's unfortunate. Um, but Tyler finishes up this this point here by saying, in the secondary, the loss of Stephon Gilmore to the PUP list uh, for the start of the year is a big blow, but if he is able to return to his elite form during the middle of the year, the Patriots have a chance to be a top-five unit that should be able to slow down any offense in the league. Uh, that is just I, – I love that. I love where he's at with that, obviously. Um I'm not as crazy to think uh, that, you know, this is going to mean that Super Bowl is going to be in the cards here. But I do love where he's at. I think that the defense is much improved, obviously. The players you're getting back that you didn't have from COVID last year, Dante Hightower, uh, or who you lost, like Kyle Van Noy, that makes the the linebacker unit great. I agree with that. And then you have other options that you brought in through the draft and through free agency. uh, And guys like Judon, who has the highest motor, one of the higher motors I've seen on this team in 
in, in recent memory. Uh, I'm excited for it. It's going to be a really great thing. But Tyler goes on to say that there is one more reason why this New England Patriots team could win the Super Bowl this year. And that reason is Bill Belichick. He says the good news for New England is its hopes of jumping right back into the Super Bowl conversation uh, is that the Patriots have the greatest mind that the NFL has ever seen in Bill Belichick. I know we all think that Belichick is a robot, but the head coach is human and is likely champion, uh, likely champing at chomping at the bit. Oh wow, I can't read right now. Chomping at the bit to begin the regular season so that he can try to match Brady's Super Bowl he won with the Buccaneers in 2020. For that to happen, Belichick, along with McDaniels and the rest of the Patriots coaching staff, will need to be on the top of their game and remain one step ahead of their opponents on a weekly basis. My guess is that the Patriots team, just like any other year, will receive the best coaching that the league has to offer, which is an advantage that can't be overlooked. So, Mr. Tyler, uh, what was his last name? Tyler Sullivan of CBS believes that the Patriots can win the Super Bowl this year, not only because of Mac Jones and the defense, but because he believes that Belichick is such an advantage over the rest of the league that it's going to be so huge to have that scheming ability, not only from Josh McDaniels, but Bill Belichick on the defensive side of things, it's going to give teams fits. And I think that every Patriots fan can agree that we are all banking on that factor as well. So this is a team, people, that there are still going to be high expectations. I would urge that you lower those expectations for a rookie quarterback and a team that's trying to still figure it out this year. I'm very excited of what they can be. I'm looking forward to a, a chance at getting that 10-11 win season and possibly being in a playoff game, possibly winning a playoff game in Mac Jones' rookie season. That is all I'm looking for. I think that that's all everyone else should be looking for, but I get that there's very extreme high hopes from a fan base that is used to winning, or at least used to winning over the last 20 years, which is a long time, and now you want to be back there again. Let's get there as quickly as possible, but hopefully, you know, uh, nothing major bad happens on the way there. I, I think that we need a lot of things to hit if we're thinking that we can actually get all the way to a Super Bowl run. All right, keep it here on 90.7 WKKL for more of the Claptrap when we come back. You're listening to 90.7 WKKL, and this is the Claptrap. Switching things up now from football over to baseball. Terrific job for the left-hander today, and yet his fate is still yet to be determined. It's 4-0 Boston. Richards coming on. Two on. Nobody out for the race in the seventh. Manuel Margot at the plate. Richards, one-two pitch. Yes. He got him swinging. Went right back to it, and there's one down. Now Brandon Lau with one out and two aboard still for the Rays. And his oh. strike three called. Top of the zone for Richards. Two down. Two away now. And it's Mike Zunino. Zunino in the air. Left center. But there is room for Santana. And he makes oh. the catch. All right. Garrett Richards gets the job done. Rodriguez in line for the win. It's Garrett Richards back out for a third inning. Boy, this is a big boy save. So Wendell is on. Now the cleanup man, Yandy Diaz. And he swings through it. It's strike three. One away. Here's Margot's. One, two. On the ground, Devers comes up with it and gets the force at second. And there's two down. What a play by Devers. That ball was stung. And he got to this in a heartbeat. And now Brandon Lau. Two, one. 
Swing and a high pop-up. Shallow left. J.D. coming on. He's there, and he has it, and the Red Sox split the series. They shut out the Tampa Bay Rays. The Red Sox are now within a game and a half of the Yankees for second place in the first wild card and remain two in front of Oakland for the second wild card. Okay, so I'm not going to lie to you guys. I was ready to come in here and talk about how it is just over for the Red Sox. I was ready over the weekend um, when they started off uh, or, or, or over the beginning of the week and the beginning of the series here when they started off going 0-2 against the Rays right out the gate. Uh, then you have the Chris Sale game where he comes out and he holds his own enough, even though he gave up that two-run home run, but otherwise he held his own and he was able to get this team to a point where they were able to win, which was huge uh, in a game that they they very much needed. Uh, at, at this point in the year, you're into September. These are must-win games, right? This is how everyone should feel. I, I'm sure that it is how everyone does feel. But Wednesday night was just a, a huge game. Huge game overall for this team. You had Sale coming in, and he pitched six innings strong enough, right? He gave up the six hits, the two runs uh, on that home run, like I said. Then you had Whitlock come in, and he pitched really good, like you've seen him pitch earlier in the season. And Ottavito came in and got the save for you. That was a big win against the Rays that are, are you know running away with the division, and we shouldn't even be thinking about trying to get back in the division race. It's just impossible at this point. What we're thinking about is the wild card race. And then you get into Thursday, and you need another win, and you're assuming, or at least I was as a, a fan of this team this season, which you, know, you can take fan however you want to talk about it uh, for this team here. It's been up and down for me for sure, but... You going into games thinking that this team right now can only win games in which Chris Sale starts because he can keep them in the game. You got Eduardo Rodriguez going yesterday, and he comes out, and he does a good job, right? Gave up the four hits, only had the one walk, which was huge. We've talked about this in the past, that this year, for some reason, over others, the one main thing that's been screwing over Eduardo Rodriguez is the fact that he gives up so many walks, more than he's ever given up in any, any other season. So, had that under control against the Rays in this one here. Went six innings, gave up four hits, only the one run, I mean, only the one walk, no runs given up. Great performance from him. Then you have Garrett Richards come in. And when I was sitting there watching them have Garrett Richards get ready after all the bashing I've done for Richards and everything like that, coming in, expecting him to be able to take over in the seventh inning against a Rays team that is extremely good, I'm not going to lie to you guys, had no faith. Had absolutely no faith in him uh, to be able to do this. I've ragged on him all year for his comments about how without sticky substances, he's like a, a brand new pitcher. He has to start all over. He doesn't know if he can do it. All these things crying like a baby. And then he comes out and he pitches three innings, three gem innings, basically, where he strikes out four batters in it. He only gives up the one walk and the one hit over three innings pitched. Great job there. Makes no sense to me, considering the fact that he this is a guy who was coming into games and having an ERA of eight or more. I, I don't actually know what the actual number is in first inning situations. So he was just giving up all his runs right away as he came into the games. 
I don't understand how that would translate to him being a good reliever, but hey, it worked in this situation, and he got a three-inning save in this game by coming in and 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 just being able to be kind of a change of pace guy. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what you needed to do. He can't be the guy that first starts off against a team, but you know, once this team's been seeing Eduardo Rodriguez all night, and then you throw in and Garrett Richards, who's throwing some different stuff, then it works, I guess. And 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 maybe that's going to be the the right remedy for that player. Going into hopefully what is a playoff run here, which I'm still questioning, even at this moment now, I know, after that big win last night, huge win, really, it was, against the first place team in the league, in the uh, in the division, uh, against uh, an opponent where, you know, you have the Athletics winning their game, they're chomping on your heels there, uh, the, the Yankees didn't play last night, so it was a good game to try and get a half game, uh, you know, back from the Yankees in that wild card race and everything like that, so this is a situation here where you are facing off against a team where you needed to win, and you got your win. It's, that's huge. That's huge for this team to be able to do that, uh, especially when, like I said, the Athletics are right behind you. They're still only two games back of you, but now you are sitting one and a half games back of the Yankees, who, after being dominant, uh, I believe they had an 11 or 12 game win streak. They're now 6-4 and four in their last 10. Right, so the Yankees are kind of coming back down to earth on their side of things, uh, and and even though they do now have a series against series against the Orioles, excuse me, um, they just lost four games in a row uh, to two against the Angels, two against the Athletics before it, being able to finally beat the Angels on September first. You know, they are not really hitting on all cylinders like everyone was worried about before. You even have, and I saw the the tweet that was put out by Jared Carabas there. If you want to go into the whole breakdown of what happened at the trade deadline, which I always do. I always want to go into that because that was one of the major things that I thought was wrong with this team was the fact that you went out and you only got Kyle Schwarber and Robles, if you even want to count that guy, for the bullpen, where the Yankees went out and got Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo, who were going to be the two big pieces that were what what the, the Red Sox really needed. At least Anthony Rizzo, right? Maybe not Joey Gallo. Maybe that you're not going out to get that guy. But I assume that they were going after Anthony Rizzo. Jared Carabas tweets out, since the July 30th trade deadline... Kyle Schwarber is batting 339 with a 1,000 OPS. Bobby Dahlback has finally turned it on as well, hitting 338 with a 1,000 OPS. And then you look over at the Yankees, and Joey Gallo is sitting there with a 139 uh, batting average, .139 batting average, and a 600 OPS. And Rizzo is batting 250 with a 780 OPS. So. As far as it goes, technically, the Red Sox are winning the trade deadline, if you want to think of it that way, in a sense. But I still don't think that they went out and accomplished what they needed to do. But so, Jared, that's a that's a great tweet and all. It's it's awesome to see that we're actually we're beating out the Yankees players by just having one of our players step up and Kyle Schwarber being the the man child that he is and just kind of dominating at the plate, which has been great for us. It's awesome. I, I you know I, I love his attitude. I love the way that he goes about things. I love his at bats. Personally, I think that he's always in it at all times, but you're now sitting here after a great performance or a good enough performance from Chris Sale and then a great performance from Eduardo Rodriguez and Garrett Richards somehow, which, yes, I have to kind of eat crow about that because he somehow turned it around as a reliever, and if he keeps doing it, I'll have to keep apologizing, I guess, but you are battling for your lives right now 
and uh, you were able to get these two wins that were huge for you. I'm I'm impressed. I really am. I thought that these this team was done. I honestly did. I thought that you know when you're when you're going back looking at these games, uh, you know at the end of August that they were just losing games like uh, you know the game to the Indians there or oh boy. Zachary, what are you doing? The Guardians. It's the Cleveland Guardians. Come on, don't get canceled here. The Guardians, you lost uh, seven to five. Then you go and you lose the first two games against the Rays, six to one and eight to five. Right? I'm just thinking at that point, you know, after you 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 were able to take care of business against the bad teams like the Rangers and the Twins, and then you started off good against Cleveland there, but then you dropped the last game to Cleveland and then the first two to Tampa. I was thinking, here we go. This is this is it. This is where the season completely gets ruined, and you know all that hard work in the beginning is ruined by the fact that we didn't go out and get enough players at the trade deadline, and this team is now you know as as good as it could have gotten, and they overachieved and all of that kind of stuff. But these last two wins, I got to tell you, they've breathed a little bit more life back into the situation. You obviously still have that grasp of the second wild card spot, and you're trying to nip at the heels of the Yankees to try and get to the first spot. You're about to start a series against uh, Cleveland. Again, a home series against Cleveland before you start another series against Tampa Bay. So seven straight or no, six straight home games now in which you need to clean up. You need to really do work against Cleveland and then somehow find a way to take two out of three from the Rays. That's where you need to be at right now. That's that's where the season is because if you don't do that, if you can't get those things done, then how are you expecting to hold on to that playoff spot? How are you expecting to be able to be one of the teams in contention if you can't beat out the main team, at least in the Tampa Rays there, that is going to be in your way, right? They are the best team right now ahead of you, and you're you're looking to try and catch up to them to try and make this season into something. We didn't go and get anyone at the trade deadline, but apparently our trade deadline is good enough from Jared Carabas's standpoint there. So it's a, it's a team that you need to hold your breath during every single game in a sport that is so hard to watch that it makes it so frustrating, right? It makes it so frustrating to sit through a huge baseball game like that and then ha- you know have to worry about is this team going to have enough at the back end to be able to hold on to a lead or something like that, right? That's where I'm at at all times. So, yes, I- I'm not the best when it ta- when we come to quote-unquote fans here. I've really thought badly about this team all season. Maybe they're going to be able to prove me wrong and be able to somehow find a way into the playoffs. I still feel as though if they are able to get into the playoffs, they are able to get that wild card matchup or something like that. They're not going to get much further than that. That's going to be it. That's going to be the spot. You're going to get into the, that that wild card situation, and uh, you know maybe you can win a wild card playing game if that's where you have to be at. But then after that, I don't think you're going anywhere. Still at this point, maybe I'm going to be wrong. Maybe they're going to prove me wrong here over this remaining stretch of September. Uh, where you know you play against the Rays, the White Sox, the Mariners. These are all teams that are trying to vie for playoff spots or already have them. You're also going to get another series against the Yankees as well. So you're going to really be able to show: Do you belong with these teams, or do you think that you, you know, you didn't do enough? You didn't do enough because I certainly feel like you didn't do enough. But we're really going to be able to find out here over the remainder of September. All right, keep it right here on 90.7 WKKL for more of the claptrap when we come back. Are you interested in working in a professional studio environment? Whether you're a podcaster, new or old, or a musician just trying to get that professional sound, 
Ultrasound Production Studio is now available for podcasters, musicians, and everyone in between that are looking to get that great quality and production value that comes from working at a professional studio. If you're interested in something like that, please visit the website at ultrasoundproductions.com or just email ultrasoundpro at yahoo.com or even call at 781-956-2426 for more information. You're listening to 90.7 WKKL, and this is The Claptrap. All right, I wanted to switch it up one last time here and talk about some breaking news that has happened just today, and that is uh, involving the Celtics and a trade that they just made. So uh, it was just reported that Memphis has agreed to trade forward Juan Hernan Gomez uh, to Boston for guards Chris Dunn, Carson Edwards, and a 2026 second-round pick swap. All right, so this move brings in Hernan Gomez, who is a a power forward listed at 6'9", uh, 214 pounds, so he's a lankier guy, and uh, he should be kind of like a stretch four type of guy to be able to bring in on this team. But what's you know I'm questioning is getting rid of Chris Dunn. I honestly thought that Chris Dunn might have been able to have a role on this team. You got rid of two of your guards there. What does that actually mean? So we're, I just wanted to kind of break down what was going on with this trade, what it means looking forward, that kind of a thing there. So Hernan Gomez is a guy who... You know, he's a, a, a subpar talent, I think, honestly. He's a stretch four who, you know, last year did not have a good shooting season overall. Um, he he is a career 35% shooter from three. So, over his career, he's been pretty solid shooting, right? He's never really had a ton of minutes besides, uh, you know, the 2019-2020 season when he played um, with Minnesota, but he only played in 14 games. He was averaging about 30 minutes in those games, but he only played uh, 14 games in that season. Now, he did average 45% from field goal and 42% from three-point range in that season with a ton of minutes, but it was also on a bad Minnesota team, so you know, uh, w- you know, you get what you get there. But this is the type of guy that you bring in on a team uh, that is is lacking the ability to space, uh, create space on the floor, right, with their bigs at least. So, you know, in, in a rotation that has. Uh, Robert Williams and Al Horford in there. Uh, these guys that you know you're you're hoping are going to be able to bang down low. I know that at times Al Horford has tried shooting threes, but not that much. This is the type of player that the Celtics like to have because it creates more room for the Jason Tatums and and Jalen Browns of the world to be able to drive and dish, right? You got Hernan Gomez here who's going to be able to sit out there and hopefully be able to hit threes uh, for this team. But I don't know what this really means for this team going forward because you got rid of two guards and, you know, the second round pick is nothing. Who cares about that? Um, but the, the two guards there, now I'm starting to see a lot of people talking about the fact that are they making room to go out and get a guy like Isaiah Thomas or something like that, which um, on face value, I guess that would be great. It would also make the team look a lot better. It would go, it would bring back up my, uh, you know, assumption that if they were to do something like that, it's to kind of get rid of the, the, uh, the stink of Danny Ainge. 
uh, with all the other players around the league because Danny Ainge, you know, kind of made the, the Celtics a hateable place for a little bit by dumping uh, Isaiah Thomas in the matter that they did it in the way that they did that. So, you know, if they go out and do a move like that, it's it's just kind of, to me, signifying that, yes, we're agreeing it's just a bridgy season. We're just trying to make us as likable as possible and trying to put out the best effort-giving team that we can. Uh, it's not necessarily about making the team better. It's just about saving face in a lot of senses there when it comes to just Isaiah Thomas specifically. I love the player, love the guy. I think that he gives 150%. Uh, even when he doesn't have it, he gave his heart and soul to the Celtics team. We'll always remember those bridgy years that were amazing and still you know, gave us a, a reason, a root for a Celtics team that we knew probably wasn't going to make it very far, but at least they gave us something to root for, right? And, and, and I think that that's a major thing that you know Boston fans in general can really latch on to a team that's always just going to give its best effort at all times. That's just how the, you know the the fan base works. That's just how um, you know it's always gone. Really, you you want those players that are going to bleed green, right? That's that's how it works. A lot of these Celtics fans bleed green themselves. So you know you you're gonna want the players that feel the same way. And Isaiah Thomas was one of those guys. Um, and had an amazing season, especially under Brad Stevens, who loves to bring in a point guard and make him a focal point of this team. I'm questioning if that's the best route to go with this team. I would assume that's only a one-year deal if they do do something like that. Uh, and now they've obviously you know, created room to be able to have a guard come off the bench that they can pick up. So who would they go and get? I don't know. Is it going to be Isaiah Thomas? That's where I'm hearing the immediate reactions from this trade is everyone's thinking that that option there. But Hernan Gomez himself, um, I guess he'll be an okay you know, piece to add. Um, I don't love the fact that he has steadily declined in his free throw percentages since he's been in the league. He came into the league in 2016 uh, shooting 75% from free throw. Uh, and he is now at this point for the last four seasons, he's shot about 62% from free throw range. So he has gone down immensely in that category alone, which is something that I think, especially if you want to be a, a serviceable big man off the bench, which yes, he's a stretch four and a little bit lankier there. So, you know, not necessarily a big, big man, but you need to be able to hit your free throws when I bring you into the game or when this team brings you into the game late in the game, right? You're not only there to just stretch the floor, but you have to also be able to, if you get into a situation where you get fouled and have to go to the line, we need to be able to rely on you to hit free throws. So he's a career 69% free throw shooter after having seasons of 75%, 83%, and 76% to start off his career. I don't know what happened, but after he left Denver... He could not shoot free throws anymore. He went down a solid 10 to 12% on his free throw percentages, and that bugs me and is honestly a little you know, off-putting going into this next year because that's the type of player that you're going to bring in. This guy can stretch the floor and shoot better, and maybe just being in Minnesota, I, I don't know, something about, you know, be, being on a team that was middling and not doing anything really, or not even middling, honestly, below averaging and, and not doing anything, maybe that just kind of deters the player from doing something or doing their best on some situations. He played in 52 games last year, only started six of them, played an average of 17 minutes per game, averaged seven points a game, and shot 32% from three. So, I mean, he wasn't 
great. He wasn't off the page or anything like that. And maybe Celtics are looking into this as a buy low kind of thing. But in all honesty, I thought that Chris Dunn was not only going to be able to have a little bit of a role on this team, but the fact that he was only here for one year, five million seemed great. It was an easy contract to get rid of. Now, I haven't really looked into the contract of Hernan Gomez yet, um, but I'm assuming and hoping that it's only going to be just a one-year deal. Now, I'm going to look at that right now and see what I can find, but if this is a player that you brought in here to uh, you know, be on your team for uh, you know too, too many years or, or multiple years here, that is going to be a problem. So I'm live looking it up right now. Uh, what what the actual contract is going to be. It looks as though his last contract he signed was a three-year deal. So he is going to be uh, on the books for this year and next year at a, what looks like $7 million. So he looks like he has another option to be on the team for next year at $7.5 million. This year he would be on the team for seven. Next year, seven point five. So... I'm confused why they went after this type of a player when I thought that the whole process that we were going through was making sure that we had enough cap room to get next year. Now, I don't I don't see anything as a uh it's like a team option or anything like this on this contract. So maybe if it's that kind of a situation where they can just dump him if they want to, that's understandable, I guess. But he is 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 going to be a contract that is going to be harder to move, I think. Unless he comes out and he actually plays really well here, right? So you're you're I, I my my major concerns with what the Celtics are doing now is the Brad Stevens moves in the beginning seemed like, and I kept saying he couldn't miss, they were all focusing on being able to bring in another max contract player next offseason. They have now started to change their momentum to I, giving these longer contracts, you got Marcus Smart, and unless you're talking about him as a trade prop, uh, prospect or a trade piece uh, moving forward, he has a four-year deal now. You just traded a guy who had a one-year deal for $5 million for a guy who has a two-year deal worth $7 million per year. So that's another amount of contract that's going to be tied up for the next season unless you can move that player as well. I don't know where we're going at this point is what I'm trying to say. These moves don't make a ton of sense at this point. I, I, I think that they started off the offseason great. I think that Brad wasn't missing. You got rid of Kemba Walker. You brought in a bad asset, which is Al Horford, but he has these uh, stipulations in his contract that you can you know, extend things and make things easier for you to handle his contract going forward. You, uh, you know, you're 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 moving all these players. You're bringing in players. Um, like Richardson for one year, all these guys, you start off with just one-year deals. And then all of a sudden, the new contract extensions start to come in. You bring in Robert Williams is going to get a, a contract extension. You got Marcus Smart with the contract extension. You got Richardson, I believe, got added another year as well. So I don't know what these extensions are for when I thought that the focus was going to be on making it as easy as possible to be fluid in the next offseason and try to actually go after a bigger player a player like Bradley Beal or something along those lines. Maybe they're starting to think that the only way we'd be able to get him is to trade for him anyways. So if you get these more tradable contracts, we'll be able to go after a player like that and assign a trade type deal. I don't know what it's going to be, but if that's not the case and you're just starting to bring in players that you're going to have under control for multiple seasons, because you see the writing on the wall that you're not going to be able to get a player. That's not good. That is not good. People that's not good. Green team, green teamers. That's not what we want. 
I'm, I'm hoping that this is not the case. I'm hoping that Brad has a, a true vision. I'm hoping that these contracts that I'm saying are, are you know, being extended and things like that are easier to trade. There's something in there that I maybe am not seeing or something like that. But if it's not the case, then what the heck are we doing? Well, I, I, I'm very confused. I'm very confused. All right. Keep it right here on 90.7 WKKL for more of the Claptrap when we come back. You're listening to 90.7 WKKL, and this is The Claptrap. Okay, so another episode in the books. We are finishing off today. We talked about the Patriots, had a good co- conversation with Coach Kamire, talking about uh, everything going on with the Cam Newton versus Mac Jones situation. We also talked about some of the Asante Samuel comments that were going on with his uh, recent uh, bashing of Belichick. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, then we got into the Red Sox, how they've been doing, and also talked about the Celtics uh, trade that just happened today. So good episode overall. I'm um, going to be looking forward to having, I believe, Matt back on the the uh, podcast next week to be able to talk about his thoughts because I know that he was big on wanting to have Mac Jones start for this season. So I want I can't wait to hear what he has to say about everything with that. Um, and next week we will be going into the first week of the NFL. Um, the, the, the next Friday's episode will be after the, the first NFL game, which is Tom Brady and the Buccaneers against Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys on Thursday night. So that'll be an interesting game to see. And we'll talk about that. Um, I am going to be starting to do a, a new gambling uh, segment uh, or, or something with, with a couple of my buddies there, which is going to only be on the podcast, so I just want to let that be known right now. And if you did miss any of the show and you want to kind of check out what I was talking about with Coach Kamire or anything else there, uh, then please feel free to go and find the podcast. It is going to be up uh, later today uh, anywhere that podcasts are found, Spotify, uh, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you can find podcasts, you can search the Claptrap and be able to find the entire show and skip to whatever you want to if you if you need to and uh, just be able to listen to the nonsensical takes. I would really appreciate it if you looked into that. Um, I am also up on Twitter and Instagram at Zach Clap at the Claptrap. Those are the two accounts. Uh, and I'm going to be getting very much more involved, especially on Instagram, as this new season of football starts and as I start up this new gambling segment that I'm going to be doing. Uh, there's going to be a competition. I've got uh, four other guys, including my buddy Cam, who I've brought on before. Matt's going to be involved. Uh, you know, a few other people that I'm going to do there. So if you're interested in gambling uh, takes and things like that, gambling responsibly, of course, then you can listen to the podcast as well. That's going to be coming up in these next couple of weeks. Here I am also or have uh, or also been on Twitch recently doing uh, not only some goofy gaming streams, but also just talking about sports on the stream as well. I try and do that as much as I can during the week leading up talking about the topics that I will talk about on the show every Friday. So if you're interested in watching me and interacting with me on the Twitch streams, you can follow and um, view along and ask me anything at 
twitch.com slash Zach Clapp. Uh, trying to create more content every way that I can here. We're going to see what we can do over this NFL regular season. Going to be a lot to do with the, uh, the not only football, but once basketball and hockey starts up, going to really be involved as much as possible in that. And obviously we have the end of the regular season for the Red Sox and the playoffs, hopefully for them as well to get into. But uh, we, we are trying to create more and more content um, for not only the, the radio station of WKKL, but for also this show uh, going forward. So looking forward to that. I'm also going to be getting back into the WKKL campus and studio starting next week. So I'm excited for that. See what we can come up with with, uh, with the show and other show ideas too. So WKKL is going to be looking to do some new things there. And if you're ever interested in even just getting your voice on the show, go to WKKL.FM. You can leave a voicemail for the show, for any of the shows actually, on WKKL if you're interested in that as well or just want to you know, talk or, or help out or whatever you are interested in. WKKL.FM, you'll be able to find all of the information there. I appreciate all of the listeners for not only listening to me but also the entire station. And uh, like I said, I will be back again next week. Um, to do more of this nonsensical sports talk and continue doing that as we uh, go forward into the NFL season. So, uh, like I said, thank you to everyone for listening here. Uh, and if you could, go look for the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever they're found. Also, if you could give, give me a follow on uh, Twitter or Instagram, at Zach Clapp or at the Claptrap. I would really appreciate it. And I hope you guys have a great Labor Day weekend. Uh, and I will talk to you all next week. See you later. Keep it right here on 90.7 WKKL for more of the Capes Classic Alternative.